Welcome to another edition of Eusebius on Times Live. Now, before we know it, we're going to have another national elections upon us. In the interim, of course, it is very important as political animals to understand what it is that you want as a voter in terms of the options on the political landscape. Unfortunately, South Africa is not as rich, in my subjective opinion, as an analyst when it comes to quality political polling as many other parts of the world, including countries where democracy is also in crisis, like the USA, where an empirical approach to political analysis, I think, has got a deeper history. Be that as it may, uh, think tank Ravonia Circle, you would have seen on timeslive.co.za, has conducted a poll that it has been working on with Ipsos to try and understand what you want what political sentiment currently is all about and to try and determine what about the current landscape you are happy with, if anything, and where the gaps lie in terms of potential new entrants that may want to be an alternative to the incumbent ANC-led government. And I've asked Lukona Nguni, who is a fellow uh, broadcaster, a political analyst as well, and one of the founders of the Ravonia Circle to help us understand the methodology behind both the quantitative and qualitative research. I think you will find that intriguing, but the most important part of our conversation will be to read off the actual conclusions and then discuss the implications that have come out of this poll. You're listening to Eusebius on Times Live. That's this latest podcast on Times Live. And it's me, Eusebius McKaiser, exploring the major issues of the week. That means you're going to hear a lot of law, politics and ethics, how they intersect and how important these stories are in the life of all South Africans. When people saw their children must know these are sellouts. They put saliva on the paper. Mr. Julius Malema whispered and said, sing it, sing it. And then they shared that zone. No, I'm not going to apologize. apologize. Can I have my iPad, please? So they stole it. Lukona, good morning to you and thanks so much for making time for us. Very good morning to you, UCBS. Uh, I've not spoken to you on this platform, so it's quite an honor uh, to be in conversation with you again. It's always a, an honor speaking to you and um, I'm glad we finally made some time to do so. I want to get straight into it. You know, polling, and I, I want to start on a sort of nerdish but important nerdish level. I was saying to one of your colleagues last night, that polling in South Africa when it comes to political sentiment doesn't have a great history. We sort of take for granted that maybe, you know, you can ask Ipsos to quickly do a dip into public sentiment. We read it off. EMCA does that habitually, for example. And I remember um, many years ago at Power FM, facilitating a really lit debate, as the youngsters would say, <laughs> between political analyst Stephen Friedman and actually one of the marketers from Ipsos. And I don't remember the details. I'd have to go back to the archives. But I do remember him raising some critical concerns about methodology 
Who do you phone? Do you use landlines or do you knock at people's doors? Is there a bias in favor of people in urban areas? How do you know what people are thinking in Unu or Lusikisiki? It's easier to knock at the door in Cliptown than it is in more peri-urban or rural areas, for example. Talk us through what this survey was about and how it was set up in terms of methodology. No, thank you, Eusebius, uh, for that, because that's really the nub of the integrity of the data that you are able to communicate to people. So we we walked a very uh, you know robust method methodology path with Ipsos. Mm. And we wanted a study that could be representative of voters. So that's the first starting point. So the study mm. was looking at people who are 18 years and older who are registered to vote. So we did not look at people who are 18 years and older, but not registered to vote. So the universe of the study was the plus minus 26 million registered voters currently. And the sample size that would be representative across provinces, gender, race, and um, age um, was 2000. And we then interviewed 2000 people that gave us a confidence um, a 95% confidence uh, level on the study and a 2.2% uh, margin of error uh, on, 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 on the study. So the sample size was 2,000. Now you are raising something very important in terms of uh, who do you phone because we, we did use a computerized assisted uh, telephonic interviewing uh, tool. And it, it, it was one convenient because you would know the cost implications that are there for field work, uh, but also that yes. there are also biases on field work on political surveys because sometimes people look at the person who's knocking at the door and wonder if they can trust them or not. So that one is, a, is something that we can debate in terms of what is the mm. best uh, way to go about it. But um, we we used a randomized digital dialing um, uh, platform, and now you would say that, of course, surely uh, we did not have every number of the 26 million uh, registered voters. That is also true, mm. uh, but we think that the, the 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 way in which we approached it, the sample size um, is representative enough, and I think um, we will talk about the results, but I think the results are beginning to uh, uh, mirror some of the sentiments that have been coming from other different uh, surveys. Uh, it was mm -hmm. not a classic uh, polling uh, in a sense. We wanted to do a study of understanding political attitudes, sentiments, and perceptions mm -hmm. of registered voters. Okay. And then for those of us with a classic humanities background, you don't have to explain the detail, but just confirm for me that if you want to understand what millions of people are thinking, it seems counterintuitive for the philosophy or English language student to only potentially speak to 2,000 people. But I assume the statisticians will tell you that if you have the right sample size and methodology, you can draw inferences about the whole population that are credible. Uh, absolutely, CBS. That's why we call them uh, representative uh, samples, so that um, you can then make inferences about the general population. Um, you sample because, first of all, you understand um, you, you understand that you cannot talk to millions of people. 
um, you do not have enough hours in a day to do that. And you probably would finish your study at a time when the first person you spoke to might have even changed yeah. their views and thoughts. And therefore, your 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 results could be uh, could be could be somewhat um, you know disconnected to reality, and that's why we 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 sample we sample uh, in a population, uh, make sure that it is representative. Uh, we've got a very clear and distinct age structure. For example, in South Africa, we've got racial groups in South Africa. Uh, we've got uh, we've got you know a gendered um, gendered understanding yeah. of of the population, and then you've got provinces which have different populations. So if you sample in a way that represents across all those dynamics, um, you are quite mm -hmm. good to be able to extrapolate uh, some of the lessons into the general population. Okay. What's also the fi final methodology question, what's also important about the results you released yesterday is that although there was this statistical methodology used in, you know, working closely and robustly so, as you say, with Ipsos, you guys have been doing other stuff anyway, which is the more touchy-feely stuff that we do love <laughs> as liberal arts students. You've been doing community-based sessions across the country where you have been able to actually speak with real human beings in community halls, using all sorts of different qualitative methods to tease out from a narrative point of view, what is in their heads and in their hearts. And I assume that the conclusions we're about to share with my listeners are also a composite function of this poll, plus the qualitative conversation that you have set up. Yes, indeed. And in fact, our greatest focus was on the qualitative uh, data, uh, Eusebius, particularly because, mm -hmm. you know, as, as you'd know, qu quantitative data, I mean, you, you share a percentage and then it becomes a headline um, and, and it misses the nuances yeah. that undergird mm -hmm. um, some of those some of those insights. And yes, so we have done a number of things at the Ravonia Circle. Uh, one of those are focus groups uh, between December and today. We have done about 26 focus groups across uh, four different provinces. So that is another mm. caveat that is important. We have done a program that we call the Democracy Builder. The Democracy Builder is almost like an extended focus group. It's a seven hour engagement with a group of people in a community. We've now mm. conducted these in over 35 different communities across eight different provinces. In actual fact, that the team is in Bloemfontein today uh, to do the rounds of uh, democracy builders and other things in Free State. We've also done town yeah. hall meetings um, and we've done uh, political theater. Political theater is an interesting engagement tool that uses dramatic arts um, to, 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 to engage people whose uh, innate expression is not like mine and yours, you see, because, you know, we write essays and uh, speak in <laughs> verbose ways. There are people who literally are not uh, are not good at that, but uh, still want to express themselves politically through music, poetry, um, and, and body movement. And, and so we, we've engaged people through our political theatre programme. Uh, we've, we've also engaged people 
through Songhezo Zibi's book launch uh, launches. Uh, I mean, um, for example, in Deben, we had about 120 people attending the book launch. So we can't discount some of the views and insights that uh, we got from Absolutely. from those book launches. Yeah. So that's the composite of um, mm. of of the of the very you know more engaging meeting human beings eyeball to eyeball uh, but also just mm. listening and intentionally doing so because we don't teach people anything UCBS we just provide a platform mm. for conversation we do more listening than speaking in actual fact yeah well I think that was a useful foundation because like I say there are some people who take for granted that some of the surveying companies in South Africa, there's about three or four of them that really are the equivalent of a, a little oligopoly um, and trust them. And then there are other people who say, ah, I only trust, trust real data. But I think what you guys have done is important. We do need to improve political polling because we can't only react to data the morning after the IEC has given us the results. Now let's get to the conclusions, the fun, sexy stuff. Funny enough, <laughs> our own platform, I work for Times Live, um, we also grabbed one of your stats and turned it into a headline. <laughs> so if you currently if you currently click on our news site, you will have seen a headline to the effect of survey shows seventy four percent of South Africans say the country is headed in wrong direction. What are some of the most important insights that have been gained? So the first point to say, Eusebius, is that um, the, the quant was quite interesting and I think more representative of reality than focus groups. In focus groups, uh, you find that seven out of eight people or eight out of eight people will say the country is headed in the wrong direction. And so mm -hmm. uh, it's it's also pleasing to, to know that there are people who feel the country is headed in the right direction because, I mean, in the sum total of things, uh, some people may feel that uh, some things are going okay. But the, the greatest yeah. insight here is really what is it that makes people believe that the country is headed in the wrong direction? And that is a number of, uh, you know, uh, crises that we we all have, you know, observed, but top of mind. Uh, with people is the question around employment and jobs yeah. and that this is a a serious risk and threat to the country and so people were not sharing things that uh, because i'm unemployed therefore this is the problem for me they were saying in their observation uh, the most pressing thing that needs to be solved in the country uh, to get a sense that the country is moving in the right direction is employment and i think that's because mm. you see, uh, even if you are employed, you do feel the burden of unemployment. I, I've been saying to friends um, in the last ten months, don't you think the requests have increased? Of you know whether somebody is going to job hunt, they are asking for two hundred rands, for one hundred and fifty rands, um, for for five hundred bucks, or whatever. Uh, so the the employed are not only feeling the burden in terms of you know. Uh, you know, the dependency ratio and the taxes phenomenon, but uh, they're also feeling it in terms of the day-to-day -day life and having to really pitch up for their loved ones, their friends, and so on. And uh, the second thing, which I'm going to marry insights from focus groups and the study, um, is around corruption. Mm -hmm. Now, cor mm -hmm. corruption, Eusebius, people have a serious disdain for corruption. In focus groups, when you have a lengthier conversation and not in a quantitative study uh, like this one, uh, they they mm. try and they almost connect everything to corruption. So they say the economy is not performing well. There are no jobs because the politicians are corrupt, and because of corruption mm. and unemployment, 
the young people are on drugs and substance abuse and because of that mm. they commit crime and 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 then we are unsafe so they make this interwoven analysis about uh, you know the ripple effect of corruption in our society and i think that mm. uh, we we must not uh, underestimate this and treat it as an abstract issue south africans are really grappling with it and the the, the third thing that south africans are grappling with is crime and safety yeah. um the sense of not being free and people express it beyond just um, you know, um, personal safety terms, but it's a space issue, the space in which we exist. We don't, we don't see any form of uh, freedom anymore. And as a result, and this is now a, a new thing, uh, we are probably the, one of the first people to hear about this. Uh, we are actually working towards commissioning a study, which should commence soon, to look at the threat of violence on democracy. Because we often talk of violence as a threat to human beings and, and, and our bodies. Uh, but mm-hmm. we are beginning to be worried about the scale of violence, particularly in communities in the Western Cape, for example. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, and I think this study came from a meeting with a community leader in Kailicha, and he was talking about how people are required to pay a protection fee for their weaves and their sneakers That's right. and all yeah. of those things. Mm-hmm. And it made us think mm-hmm. that maybe this violence is now beginning to be a threat on personal freedoms, on democratic freedoms and rights, and that it could actually uh, pollute uh, beyond the classic political violence of KZN and parts of Eastern Cape, but pollute Mm. just democratic uh, entitlements that people have because they are so scared um, in their own community. So we are are doing something along those lines. Lastly, Eusebius, cost of living uh, really is um, a, a problem for many people, um, and 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 in in the focus groups it comes it comes along the lines of cooking oil, it comes along mm-hmm. the lines of fuel, t- uh, transportation costs, and uh, the escalation in our uh, electricity prices. Um, and, and was there nothing in there about John Steenays and slop chips at Model C school? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, I don't think most South Africans can now uh, even uh, afford those uh, <laughs> with ease and your Dagwoods and all of this thing. Uh, but yeah, but so cost of living really expresses itself. Um, in those sentiments, Eusebius. And then, uh, of course, I, I think lastly, I'm forgetting, uh, how can we forget uh, being in the dark all the time? Uh, people, want, people, mm-hmm. people want a solution to load shedding. Uh, they, they, want, they want some certainty. Uh, if you are going to load shed, at least just do it in yeah. predictable ways. Don't be on stage three today, two tomorrow, one that day, mm-hmm. zero that day. So those are the main topical issues. And we have now built them to be like, uh, the five priority issues that we think South Africans yes. want to solve for. And uh, that's not to say the other, you know, issues you see are not important, education, health, and so on. But of these course, ones yeah, are quite yeah. pressing on being yes. disruptive on people's day-to-day life. That makes sense. So if we list them, unemployment, corruption, crime, the blackouts, and the cost of living crisis that we are experiencing... I mean, I, I, what you've summarized is brilliant and lucid, makes intuitive sense. And as a good social scientist, you know that it's good for intuitions to be tested and corroborated or falsified, if that must be what the data tell us. Absolutely. And it's unsurprising to me that a robust survey and qualitative sessions in the field 
confirm these intuitions that, that many of us have as actual realities for millions of people. I want to talk about a really important further insight that you guys delivered yesterday as you briefed the press about this. But before we get to that, and that's going to be about, you know, and, and Songezo Zibi in his latest piece for Times Live to Tio Zede, which he also delivered as a as a speech recently, of course, in the Drakensberg, um, touches on this, that dissatisfaction with the incumbent government does not automatically mean that you are happy with the alternatives. You can become apathetic rather than voting for the opposition. So I know we're going to spend a couple of minutes on that insight from the survey as well. But I want to pause a little bit um, and, and just talk about what you've just said. It's firstly... I'm glad you're going to do the study about the threat to democracy. But even before we do a empirical-based study, just from an analytical point of view as an analyst, it's obviously a threat to our democracy, isn't it? I mean, our, our democracy was founded on this 1996 codified constitutional vision of civil and political rights and socioeconomic rights the ANC sloganeered around a better life for all. And the five priorities that you have listed as issues that people grapple with, Lugona, unemployment, corruption, crime, blackouts, cost of living, crisis, all of those things are antithetical to everything in the Bill of Rights. And so they are a direct assault on the vision of a just and equal South Africa. Well, Eusebius, you would know that uh, there's been a big debate about uh, these issues. Um, I'm even transported back to um, a panel discussion that you participated in, in the, at the Apartheid Museum a few years back. Mm. Because we've been grappling with this idea of the democratic dividend that has accrued to ordinary South Africans and not that's right and yeah. not the few individuals and i i want to reflect a little bit at a personal level <clears throat> i mm. i have even wondered if is it because we have become co-opted into this unworkable democratic structure where a few of us hog a number of positions in society that are quite influential um, mm. I mean, I'm head of policy at the Ravonia Circle. I have a show on ENCA and I get mm. calls to go moderate things. And I have the pleasure of also participating yeah. in academia. And I wonder at times if, I mean, is it because one is really good at what they do or something has just really gone wrong in terms of how the, 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 the democracy in South Africa works in concentrations of power? Whether it's mm. in the economy, where you know that even the president has spoken about breaking up the monopolies, whether they are going to do anything about it is, some is neither here nor there. But there is an understanding the economy is monopolized. Uh, if you look at sectors, you generally find five very dominant uh, players, whether it's banking, whether it's insurance companies, whether uh, it's advertising and marketing and you name it. And everybody else is... Is generally a small player with no room to, uh, to, 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 to grow. And this is what yeah. has really been at the heart of it. And you are quite correct that uh, this is against our constitutional, um, you know, vision and our constitutional 
imperative. We are still fighting for the bare minimums, UCBS. We're still fighting for the basics. Mm. And at times, what then pollutes the conversation for me is that we then say people are entitled, but these are these are constitutional promises. When when people are fighting That's for right. their access to water, healthcare, reproductive yeah. healthcare rights, these are not niceties. These are commitments of our social contract that we believe everybody should have access mm. to that. And if the if people and Lucona, that is that is quite apart from the self-imposed political mandate of the African National Congress. Yeah. That is the ticket on which you canvas. So you can't the morning after getting into power, then suddenly not be held accountable vis-a-vis the ticket on which you were canvassing. Absolutely. And I, I, I think it's it's another, I mean, topic altogether, uh, which we can yeah. discuss and debate about, you know, what power shifts need to happen in South Africa because uh, the elites generally across the politics and the economy um, and, 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 and business, the elites, they feel as though they have all the solutions. And this is, mm. um, we now come back to some of our, our, our focus group conversations. When you speak to ordinary South Africans, they feel that they have been left out in the making of solutions to our country. And because we have bottled conversations in these very bureaucratized and institutionalized forms, like That's you right. say you've co- you've consulted with NEDLEC partners, but I can tell you for free, there's nobody at NEDLEC who represents me. I, I don't even know who sits at NEDLEC, as, <laughs> as knowledgeable as I am. I really have no idea, UCBS, who sits at yeah. NEDLEC on behalf of civil society, because nobody at NEDLEC has ever given me a ring to say, Hello, can you come and uh, give a view, you know, and at least parliament would advertise and so on. So Mm. sometimes when people say they've consulted and and so on, um, and I mean, of course, the big. But you see, Lukona, this is important, right? I mean, I know that we've we've sort of. (laughs) But in an important way, before we get back to the last theme that I want to thresh out with you, it, it is important because this is indirectly related to the next polling that you're going to do around the threat to democracy per se. And it is important because, again, in line with the elitism that you are talking about, in which we are also implicated as elite part of the media and the commentariat, you spot on. I mean, I, as a poor working class kid from Matanda, have sort of veered off into middle class Santon life from the rest of my family. But in between, I was churning out democratic theory essays at Rhodes University, fetishizing the model of 1996. And some of this language is not in the constitution, but we theorize it in political philosophy as participatory democracy and deliberative democracy. Now, those are big fancy English words. What they boil down to is part of our democracy aims to have the millions that you were talking about at the beginning of the conversation, directly participating in these policy debates, having a stake in those policy debates. And yet another consequence of the five crises that you have listed is that it further alienates millions of people from the democratic process, which means it's absolute balderdash 
when some of us want to come along and use fancy descriptions about what kind of democracy exists in South Africa. So we export this theory of participatory democracy and deliberative democracy, and yet it is a unrepresentative elite few that actually influences very key decisions that have implications for everyone. Absolutely, CBS. I mean, that's so apt. Uh, you are taking me back to a survey I did in KwaZulu Natal uh, in 2019. I interviewed a thousand people um, using field workers. And one what I was trying to test is, you know, this concept of how democratic is our democratic dispensation. And I, so uh, just a quick anecdote before I tell you the, the, the real finding there was, Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, most in research, we are asked to do community entry, uh, talk to gatekeepers, get gatekeepers access and so on. So, and I thought, actually, mm-hmm. the very concept of gatekeepers is undemocratic. So I'm just going to go to these communities and start interviewing people and see who's going to stop us. I must tell you, my field workers were chucked out uh, by the chief in one community. Uh, they, were, they were summoned <laughs> into municipal offices in one town, in Mtuba Tuba, I think. And they were forced to interview the chief first so that uh, he knows that the study does not harm his authority or something in one community. Sure. So this this idea yeah. of how democratic is our democracy is very important and, and particularly what you are saying, people having a stake uh, in the policy. One of the questions that we asked people is whether or not they had been consulted on any legislation mm. or policy or, or, or bylaw. And over 92% of those 1,000 people in KwaZulu-Natal, and we focused on rural areas deliberately because sometimes I have had the sense that there is an urban bias in terms of how this democracy works. Um, So even when parliament does its public consultation, it will be in some town, in some town hall, uh, rather than in some village. And over 92% of the people said they had never, ever, uh, 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 been consulted on any policy, on any legislation or by law. But more interestingly was that over 70% of those people had never seen the South African constitution, UCPS. Wow. So these are, these are, these are painful things to discover because <clears throat> it really tells you that um, as much as we, as you say, you know, we, 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 we pontificate and lord, uh, you know, this one of the best constitutions in the world and so on. Uh, the, the truth of it is that we have not done enough to model a democracy that is truly deliberative. We have really not. No, that's, that's, that's correct. That's absolutely correct. And to go back to that apartheid museum debate, it's a theme that one can cut and paste every single year. We had labeled it at the time, you may recall, mind the gap, yeah. minding the gap between this normative vision and a reality that looks very different to that normative division, which brings me nicely, uh, Lukwana, to the very last issue, but a very important last issue that I want to ask you about. The assumption of opposition parties in South Africa is very often that as long as you put the ANC on trial and state the obvious weaknesses of an ANC-led bureaucracy that hasn't delivered on its mandate, let alone the constitutional promises more fundamentally, that automatically the DA share of the vote must increase logically. The EFF surely will, I don't know, catapult towards 30% even very soon. Um, Or that these very small parties that have done 
tactically very well in the local elections in 2021 may suddenly find themselves doing well provincially and nationally in 2024. But there's an important warning for opposition political parties that come out of your surveying and the qualitative research. Speak into that. Absolutely, CBS. I mean, <clears throat> this could be a show on its own, um, but I'm going to try and really mm. be succinct on it. And I'm going to refer to one of our focus group participants in East London, an older, an, an older gentleman who, 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 who kept lamenting. Every time there was a question introduced, he kept asking, but what is the grand plan? What, what is the grand plan for the country? This is, a, this, this is an ordinary person. Um, in terms of their station in life, you cannot claim that they are even middle class, UCBS. And, mm. and this is the first mistake that political parties uh, commit, is to think that South Africans are not politically engaged. And what I've mm. been saying at the Ravonia Circle to colleagues is that we must shift from the language of civic education because it shows clearly in our research it's not the lack of voter or civic education, however you call it, that is a problem. It's a lack of engagement with the citizen on their perceptions, their outlook, their views, and their vision for the country. And this is why we felt that in the Democracy Builders, we invite uh, participants to what we call South Africa 2.0 because we really believe mm. that the imagination and the future of the country lies with the vision making of ordinary people. Now, of course, um, parties like the ANC understood this uh, during the liberation struggle. That's why there was the Congress of the People process uh, that led to the formation of the Freedom Charter. Um, uh, former President Khalama Mutlanje just put it aptly to me a few weeks ago to say, Look, uh, you would put a structure and then take uh, that structure of a conversation to people and allow people to put the meat mm -hmm. into that structure and feedback to you. Yeah. And then you consolidate the feedback. But now what has happened is that politics have become one directional. Uh, people, you see, are not looking to attend rallies. They are not looking to attend, uh, you know, town halls where they are just being addressed and then they are dismissed. In fact, the funniest mm -hmm. thing is that in some instances, once you are done with a focus group after two hours, people ask, when is the next one? You say, but this is not a meeting. This is research. Say, but we need more of <laughs> these kind of conversations. People are, are, are besting at the seams, Eusebius. They are ready to have a robust and, uh, and deliberate conversation about their country and where they think it should go. And so we think one of the problems with political parties is just the method of convening. Um, and, and secondly, it's the... Can I just stop you there, Lukona? Um, I know this is a whole topic on its yeah. own, and maybe we'll have a part two. But um, before you, you continue on, on the other topics, are you suggesting with this first point that opposition parties are so misstepping that they are even failing to see that the first desire people have is not even an answer to corruption, unemployment, and the other three of the five crisis points we listed earlier. But in the first instance, they want to be seen, literally, figuratively, psychopolitically, and that citizens, voters, are not seen, listened to, and their agent of power really respected. You, you, you've captured it far better than I would, Eusebius. Simply to add to what you have said is that uh, people really feel that their agency is suppressed. And, mm. and, 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 and remember, Eusebius, as you would know, 
take the biggest political party, the ANC. <clears throat> the the number of uh, people who are members of the ANC make up probably eight uh, percent or seven percent of the voters of the ANC. So mm. political parties mm. have also mirrored the traditions of organizing of the ANC. So the branch structure, the membership of it, uh, even a new kid on the block like Action SA is doing chapter and verse of how the ANC organizes on the ground and so on. So what it tells us is that in between election, political parties are servicing their members and not their voters. And, 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 and this is an important point that has come out in some of our focus groups because people are saying you can't just come when you need the vote. And there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting thing that is, has emerged in the last round of focus groups in September. People said we want to see political parties that are building a track record. And we say, but they are not in power. They say we don't care. We are in communities. We've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, community policing forums. We've got um, other structures and communities. We we want the political parties to be part of those processes, to to do micro actions Mm. in our communities Mm. so that we see that they are committed not only when they need the vote from us. So people are actually beginning to feel used and it's 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 making sense to me at least uh, because uh, to 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 continue participating in a process that accrues no value to you, <laughs> I mean, at some point you've got to yeah. stop. Yeah. So then, lastly, on those five issues that we had mentioned earlier that are top of mind for South Africans, South Africans who were surveyed, but I think. Quite frankly, that is for for all of us. Um, unemployment, blackouts, corruption in our country that that really, you know, is having a knock on effect in a in a nexus way across all of those different crisis points. Do the opposition parties distinguish themselves in terms of what they bring to the solution space? Has there been anything in the qualitative conversations that you guys have facilitated and? listened in on that 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 give us some indication of whether the average joe knows what the da action as a or gaten mckenzie would do to solve for corruption or for unemployment i've often wondered um, as an analyst whether voters know what differently would be done from a program of action point of view on the five issues that you've listed, were they to vote for a party other than the ANC, or whether most voters understand the offering to be, we are not the ANC, which cannot be a sufficient basis for getting my vote. It's it's not sufficient. And in fact, um, what has emerged, UCBS, is that uh, some South Africans are now not even able to distinguish uh, a politician from the ANC, from the DA, and from Action SA. They just say they are all the same, and 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 there is this growing sentiment or um, a, a, a growing belief or negative belief, really, um, that all politicians are the same. And I, I suppose if if you if you look uh, historically in the last twenty eight years there has been a contamination of our politics for a variety 
of, of, of reasons and a lack of integrity in some of the political actors across the board. So people have switched out in terms of that. And, and therefore, the, the scrutinizing of the underbelly, for example, uh, in terms of what is promised. And I think it's also a question of political communication of, of, of some organizations. And I'll make an example with the yeah. UDM, UCB. Yeah. I mean, the UDM has had in its manifesto for some time now uh, the promise of electoral reforms, right? But now this is yeah. only an issue now, but nobody can actually historically say, I know that the UDM has been pushing for this. So there is also a problem right. of political yeah. communication. And, and you feel yeah. bad for the guys because, I mean, it's you and I who will go and read these manifestos because we must write some piece yeah. about the election. So there has to be some political communication that goes and draws out of the, of the manifesto. Mm. Uh, people are yearning for... People are yearning for solutions-driven conversations that has come out very clearly, and they also have their solutions. So I'll make an example quickly. I think we were in Alice, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, in, in Forte, and it was a democracy builder. And there was a question around, you know, employment. And uh, the question was then asked, so in South Africa 2.0, how would uh, employment look like? One of the participants said, I want to live in a South Africa where my survival and basic livelihood is not dependent on me trading my labor. Now, mm. that's a very pregnant political philosophy statement yes. <laughs> because it talks about the organizing of the state, uh, the bare minimum you know, that the state should provide to its citizens and then uh, whether or not yeah. citizens should voluntarily volunteer their labor to keep the state going and efficient but what if i want to opt out of being a labor force because we know that a labor is a brutal space in terms of you know giving up your body it's literally giving up your body to make a living and so the person was challenging yes. that notion so i think you see for me what is more important is that people are keen to be engaged in conversations about solutions, are keen to be engaged in their own ideas about what life should look like in South Africa. And I think that's the biggest insight for all political parties in actual fact. I think for me, the best insight in this study uh, and, and the work that we are doing is that in actual fact, we could give political parties a new rubric on how to engage South Africans and they choose if they want uh, to do that or not. Because as you'd remember, Action SA started off with the Big Bang, People's Dialogues. But then once they'd launched yeah. the party, the People's Dialogues ended. And now they now dictate yeah. to the people. They no longer dialogue with the people. And this is part mm -hmm. of the problem why we've been flagging in some of our writings at the Ragonia Circle, whether it's Tessa Dooms or Songhezo Zibi myself, this problem of a political culture that sucks everybody into the same modus operandi of doing politics. You know, you know I can speak for hours. <laughs> I, I know. I love, I love your excellence. No, not in a bad way at all. I think that every sentence that you have uttered in this conversation, and I'm not just saying that because uh, we are good mates, um, have been incisive and important. And I hope that opposition party leaders in particular, I know they listen to my podcast, will, will not respond defensively, uh, even if they do it privately rather than publicly, that they will meditate. Because like you say, there's an opportunity in the data and the narrative outcomes from the surveying and from the qualitative research. And instead of feeling 
that you are being maligned as an opposition leader, you should rather ask yourself, how can I turn what I've just listened to in this podcast into a strategic conversation with my fellow leadership in my party? Lastly, though, just a quick bonus question. I'll give you two minutes maximum. The ANC, how should they respond to this kind of <laughs> survey? Are they, I honestly, as a both as a citizen and as an analyst, think that they are morally beyond the pale. Um, but I wonder what they should take from this, because after all, they desire not to be chucked out. And the idea that they might get 41% of the vote if there was an election this afternoon. If I'm a typical staffer at Lutulia, so I will say, ah, those kids know nothing about politics in the Ravonia <laughs> circle. Eusebius is not a politician. Commentators don't do the work we do. And the one thing that the ANC knows it is good at, it is the weak or two leading up to the election, that machinery, Mama Action, Fekile, just come out to play. And one of the weird things about doing polling is that often polling is a moment in time between elections. And this country would be brilliant if the ANC ran the state the way it does three or four weeks of electioneering just before the election actually started. Should they be startled by the outcome? Or can they arrogantly relax and say, yeah, maybe we'll get in the 50s, but there's no chance in hell we'll go into the 40s. Eusebius, you're sending me back to a conversation that Kayat Langa started, I think, in 2014. And he had written a piece in the Mail and Guardian, I, I, I think, mm. uh, about how, uh, you know, the ANC can still be redeemed. And I wrote a rebuttal and I said, the ANC <laughs> is irredeemable. This was 2014, right? We're now eight years in and they have not proven me wrong. But, I mean, look, uh, besides the analyst in me, you, you know what's most painful about the ANC UCBS is that, and I've said this to them because, at, at, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal, I've been invited to some ANC meetings to share my thoughts and really tell them, you know, in, in a closed setting, uh, what what I think. My, my difficulty with the ANC UCBS is that it has lost the art of listening. And... If, 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 if yeah, the ANC just absolutely. cared to listen, whether to you, myself, Obrima Chipis, Stembile Mbete, whoever, mm. because the critique that we do on the ANC, it's not because we hate the ANC, it's just trying to point to them their own blind spots. Absolutely. If anything, their opposition parties have got more ideological Ab beef with. Absolutely. In fact, in fact, the ANC has free consultation, which some people pay for, by the way. Yes. <laughs> Every day in the media, the ANC has free consultation. So I think CBS, if the if, if the ANC was 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 really wise, if the ANC was really wise, um, they would lock mm. themselves in the next conference in December and say, look, comrades. There is a real possibility that we are going to lose power, and yeah. we we need to shift away from these uh, contestations that we are having, and and really ask ourselves uh, who is the best amongst our ranks to lead us. I always take them back to the founding conference in Mangaung, where uh, John Langalibalele Dube was elected president, and he was not even in the conference. Because mm. there was an appreciation from some people that either I am not ready or I am not sufficient a leader enough to rise for this moment. 
And that's why somebody who was not at conference could be elected. The ANC has developed also another problematic thing where everybody really believes that they are leaders. And there's no sense of introspection. And I think that is a very dangerous place for any organization. Because if it were, if it were elsewhere, they would give you, you see, a, a job description and say, uh, this is what is expected. This, this is, these are the requirements. Uh, do you meet them? And I feel that over the years, the ANC has eroded the concept of uh, requirements for leadership. I mean, the True the Eye of the Needle document came in early 2000s. But mm, it is still true. being talked about today that we must go mm. back to it. So this is a, an appreciation of, of how historically the ANC has just eroded uh, very fundamental values that I think were at the center of making the ANC mm. that we know. But you are quite Absolutely. correct. That election machinery, its groundwork, still is the difference between what opposition parties are able to do and what the ANC is able to do. That's that's without a doubt. Well, let me end by not mixing metaphors, but titles between two colleagues. Is Lukona Nguni on the spot? Judge for yourself. (laughs) Thank you, UCBS. Thanks so much, my friend. Love your brain. Always a pleasure. All the best for the rest of the day, and um, we'll get to engage again. Thank you so much. Maybe you'll put me on TV one of these days. I haven't been there in ages myself. Well, I'm waiting to be invited when I when I'm good enough to be called to come onto your your <laughs> and, and please keep Sunday your and please keep your beard end. until I invite you. There's something about there's something there's something about this need for neatness and these looks and feelings. I'd never understand it. They call it etiquette or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you, CBS.